Hi, everyone. Hi. Hello. I'm Dawn. And I'm Colleen. And this is Austin and the A-Train. Okay, today we are diving into the Shondaland world of Bridgerton. To speak <laughs> with us, we have someone who has worked the debutante ball. She has gained the queen's approval and then quickly saw her loved one, just like Marina, trotting off to the front lines, not for Napoleon, but for COVID-19. Stressed, stressed out medical student, Ilana. <laughs> Woo! Hi guys, thanks for having me. Lady Thanks of for the, coming on. Um, she is the Viscountess of the Peloton bike. <laughs> <laughs> Approximately five days a week, yeah. <laughs> it works. Okay. So, just Alana, what kind of like books or like TV shows do you usually watch? So I have always been a lifelong sucker for a good period piece. I'm pretty sure I fell down the Tudor's rabbit hole way too young after seeing like a friend's mom's DVD set, not watching it, but just thinking, oh, this looks pretty cool. Um, my preferred book genres lifelong again have been fantasy, high fantasy, um, fantasy romance, and yep. of course, history and historic fiction. So naturally, when I saw this show climb the Netflix charts, I said, oh, goody, a perfect way for me to end winter break, glued to the couch for a day or two. Yeah. Same, though. It is kind of interesting. So Colleen and I, like, we've had, like, a f it's just a lot of fantasy, a lot of, like, fantasy lovers also like these, like, period pieces, which I find really interesting. It's just another world, but there's no magic in this one. Kind of. Oh, there's the magic of love. I'm or sorry, magic, somebody had to say it. I was going to say the magic of vitamin string quartet, but... Okay. Also true. <laughs> also true. So, let's talk about Bridgerton. So, I guess an overview, a boring overview of the show is an American streaming television period drama series created by Chris Van Dusen, produced by Shonda Rhimes, which we were just talking about how it kind of seems like a Shonda Rhimes type of show. I, I feel guilty because um, I have actually never seen an episode of Grey's Anatomy. I know people are going to flip out over that, but... <laughs> Currently behind courtesy of medical school, but I'm reasonably up to date. And I do have to say that since Shonda parted ways from that network and seems to be completely uninvolved in the shows that really brought her to the forefront. Mm -hmm. Those shows are suffering and Bridgerton seems to have upset them in terms of garnering fans. People Oof. are just kind of waiting for Grey's to end and as much as I enjoy the hospital tilt a whirl, it gets a little old. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I totally believe that. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I'm not the biggest fan of Grey's Anatomy. However, I think I like got into somebody like a friend of mine tried to make me watch the show, not you, Ilana, uh, like a different friend of mine when I was like in high school tried to get me into the show. And I think at that point, like Shonda I either had left or the show was starting to go off the rails. And I was like, what is happening? But I do like her other shows. I like How to Get Away with Murder, mostly because I just, I just love that actress. I forget her name. Wow, I totally sound like I'm a fan, right? You that that actress, that like, actress. <laughs> what's her face? Yeah, her, she's great. It's gonna bug me, okay. All right, so this show 
Bridgerton is base is my take on it is that it's like Jane Austen meets fanfic meets to all the boys I loved before to meets uh what was the other show that I mentioned Gossip Girl Gossip, Gossip Girl. Girl. Oh yeah, it was totally Gossip Girl. Oh, so. By the way, the actress I was talking about was Viola Davis. If anyone was wondering, I googled it because I got I annoyed. Love anyway, her. she is so great in everything she does. Like, the help is really problematic, but the fact that it like jump started her career is, I think, the best turnout. I of think it. she actually regrets the help. I don't blame her. I liked it at the time, but you know, it, it has aged very poorly. What anyway, is your, what is your take on Bridgerton? I knew as soon as Dame Julie Andrews was the narrator, I rubbed my palms oh together and I was like, this is going to be great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same. I was like, is that, is that Julie Andrews? Oh my God. For a second, I, I for like a hot second, I was like, is that Dame Maggie Smith? Because if they pulled Maggie Smith in, oh my all God, of the that doubt would be Abby fans would have had a brain aneurysm. Mm-hmm. Um, I really loved the show in addition to the teeny bopper fun of it Mm -hmm. there were a lot of very and not even mature in the sexual sense elements but things that teachers would capitalize on you know what themes have you seen what Mm -hmm. symbolism do you notice and maybe it's just because my ap english teachers drilled it into my brain and now i can't not think it but there was just a lot of beautiful continuity symbolism color schemes deliberately chosen colored outfits that Mm -hmm. had me pointing my finger at the television like you you doing that thing (laughs) the outfit goes with the thing you're doing no ap english teachers are unofficially the sponsor of this podcast because that's also like what was occurring to me while i was watching it because like it's not technically so like part of the reason why we're talking about this on a jane austen podcast is even though it's not directly based off of a Jane Austen novel like Pride and Prejudice, you can see as you're watching the show the influences of Jane Austen. I describe it as Jane Austen novel, both more explicit diversity and some sexy times. Um, also with, Gond- with, with um, Gossip Girl in there. The other thing that I think to add is Jane Austen wasn't allowed to put in like some of the raunchy elements at all. Yeah. And she wasn't allowed to have any gay characters either, any LGBTQ plus. I wanted more of the gay subplot, actually. Like, I really wanted right? more of the gay subplot. Um, anyway, so the show is focused on, it's based on a series of novels that are focused on the five Bridgerton siblings. I think there's more than five, actually. There's too many goes, children hold in on, that a, family. B, C, D, E, F, G, Hyacinth. I'm pretty sure there's eight of them. So there's okay, eight so- books in the series. <laughs> Okay. Holy smoke. So, okay. <laughs> so the drama, I, I looked this up. The drama centers around the Bridgerton family, which is Violet. Yeah, so we have Dowager Lady Bridgerton Violet. And we have her four sons, Anthony, Benedict, Colin, and Gregory, and her four daughters, Daphne, Eloise, Francesca, and Hyacinth. Francesca, we only see in one episode, which I thought was weird because, like, they're talking about, oh, Francesca's coming. I'm like, who the hell is that? I what? thought Francesca was an aunt until, like, this. Right? Episode. I thought she was, like, gonna just appear, like, be the rich aunt or something, but also, if anyone was wondering what a dowager was, it is a widow who holds a title or property from her deceased husband. I always, like, sort of knew what a dowager was, but I was like, if I'm doing a podcast and I say this word, I should know what it means, so there you go. So all of you young folks, look to your history books. How many dowager empresses do you see? Anyway, Dawn, go ahead. (laughs) Okay, so the... 
So each one of the books focuses on the love life of one of the Bridgerton siblings. Season one focuses on the love life of Daphne, as well as looks into a gossip columnist writer entitled an anonymous one named Lady Whistledown. It is taking place during Regency England, 18, set 1813, so late during the Regency. Um, I actually just looked this up because I feel like the term Regency England kind of gets thrown around a lot. What actually was happening at the time was England was ruled by the Prince Regent because at that point, King George had been committed as mentally unfit to serve which as is, the king. Um, which also, like, during the show, you kind of see splint, like, a little bit of it throughout mm-hmm. it. Poor, the poor queen, but we'll get to her. It's among this, like, it definitely involves the higher class, as well as it's not historically accurate in the sense that it tried to directly replicate the history, but rather decided to take its own little, I would call fan fiction-esque kind of spin in it. Like It's it an was, alternate history. It's an alternate history, which I always find is really fun. Well, and then, like, there were, like, the dresses, like, that were just, like, covered in, like, jewels and ornaments and, like, oh, let's get a dress, like, like a new dress every single day. And, okay, mm-hmm. everyone's wearing Regency dresses except for the queen who is still stuck in the 1750s. Like, it definitely was, like, very deliberate. Also, yes. um, a little thing that I was kind of obsessed with was just, like, how um, Queen Elizabeth II is obsessed with corgis. Queen Charlotte is obsessed with Pomeranians. And you know what? I am obsessed with Queen Charlotte. Oh, Let's Lottie. just get that out there right now. She's Queen amazing. Lottie. I actually have a, a fun tidbit about uh, King George. So like many other European royal families, due to all of the um, consanguinity, as we say in the medical community, a lot of these <laughs> family trees were plagued with illnesses. And it's now believed that in addition to the dementia that he suffered later on, he also suffered from porphyria. Not that they diagnosed it back then, but Mm -hmm. just based on what medical historians are saying now, it apparently started with, I believe, him and trickled down his family tree. Well, that's what Um, happens when your family tree is really a shrub. That's terrible. I shouldn't make jokes like that. That's really sad, actually, what happened to his family. Can you define that word that I can't pronounce? Porphyria? (laughs) Yes, please. Give me one second. Okay. So it's basically um, porphyria in general. It's a group of liver disorders um, where a substance called porphyrins build up in your body and it affects your skin and your nervous system. Um, so acute porphyria, mm-hmm. you can have porphyria attacks, which if you look at the timelines of his different attacks of madness, they happened over somewhat random durations of time. And one of the cardinal signs of porphyria is a color change in urine, almost a port wine colored urine. Um, oh, no. Just fact checking that quickly. Yeah, it, it, your urine darkens um, when uh, left exposed to the sun. So that, that's documented that he had that during his attacks. So oh, wow. again, I'm not a medical historian, just a medical student with professors who find really interesting things to add to their lectures. Wait, hold on. I have a question. How do they know that? So they basically just take a look at the historical records from the physics and um, people Mm -hmm. who were attending to the king or queen at the time. And now people specifically in the medical field called medical historians or medical anthropologists Mm -hmm. can look through all of those records and essentially apply our modern knowledge of disease to the very rudimentary records of symptoms that they had. Interesting. So does that mean that like King George 
had an attendant who was just like documenting what color his pee was every day. I mean, you sort of look at how Bridgerton, how in Bridgerton, everyone was looking for what the queen thought, what her approval was. Mm, Wales lived under a microscope completely their own. So, of course, especially with regards to (laughs) things like succession, people are going Mm -hmm. to look at royals very closely because at the first side of weakness, there could be an attempted coup, there could be an assassination, Mm. um, they could be deemed unfit to rule, um, a whole host of reasons why people would be very closely monitoring the royals. And anecdotally, from the plebeian over here, uh, if my pee turned point port wine red... I would write that in my diary, being That's like, fair. this was crazy. What happened? Guys, what happened? And uh, Am I dying? What What is going on? I mean, if it's like, we're not going to get into the discussions of different pea color, but like, <laughs> <laughs> I think port wine red would be a little bit concerning. Anyway, back to Bridgerton. Podcasts are a hilarious thing. You start talking about Regency England and this is where you end up. What a time to be alive. Okay, so our opening scene, I think, has the most iconic little sibling moment, which I- Oh my god, I love this so much. I love this show for documenting just, like, accurate family life, if nothing else. Mm Mm-hmm. And a functional family, too. How often do we see a functional family unit in this time? Well, I mean, like, except for Anthony, he can just go- I mean, they're down and bad, but functional nonetheless. Yeah, like, well, like, they all like each other. Like, none of the drama comes really from within the family, which I think is just really nice. As opposed to, oh, we've, could, we forgot to mention the Featheringtons, which are kind of like your B-plot family. I love the, the I, I love really the nice, Featheringtons. They're a nice foil, I think. They're a very Yeah, like, nice they're a complete contrast. And it's like, so you have this lovely, like, functional family. And then on the other side of things, you have the Featheringtons, where you have Portia, Lady Fe- Portia, who's Lady Featherington, her husband, the Baron, and their three daughters, Philippa, Prudence, and Penelope. And then they take on, I guess you would call her, like, a ward or something. And that's Marina. She was like a farm girl or something like that. So then you, bringing her in, you kind of talk about, it it was a really good way for them to discuss the like class distinctions. Um, I think it's more that like she's lower than a baron or a baron, like her father is lower than a baron, but he is like still like of the land of gentry, but it's in the country. Kind of like the Bennets. She's essentially a Bennet. I guess so, yeah. But it was interesting because I felt like she just always had something to say about, like, this is so stupid. Like, there are people dying. Well, I think it also has to do with the fact that I don't really know if she was as educated or or as as of the gentle folk as... Okay. What I'm trying to say here is that I think that the way that she portrayed herself at the beginning or the way that she was viewed at the beginning... Is mm-hmm. different than what actually came to be because towards yeah. the end of the 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 series the series of the show spoiler alert it was found that I'm I, I'm like ninety percent sure that it was just her father her father was owed money by Mister yes. by Lord Featherington yes that that's so like is she a relative is she just the byproduct of like a strong gambling situation and that's the a real question. Funds, that is the real question. She was brought in. I feel like that's something that might be answered in the book, but they just didn't have either the budget or the time to cover it in a plot relative way in this season. 
Yeah, I think it would have been really hard to be like, yes, she is our cousin. You know that. But it, it seemed like none of them really knew who she was. So that's why I'm inclined to think that it, she just came about as a result of the Baron's really bad gambling problem. Okay. So in addition, so the Featheringtons, we have the Baron, who's kind of an absent father, gambles a lot. The Portia, the mother, who definitely tries too hard. Uh, Social is, climber. Yeah, yeah but Portia, the mother, was like peak lady bennett peak like mrs bennett like trying to just marry all of her kids off but i think we talked about this when we went over the mini series which sadly ilana was not here for but like this show in addition to the mini the mini series about pride and prejudice really establishes like the stakes like if you don't get married you are screwed yeah, and also it's I think it was I like wrote down that actually the Featheringtons reminded me of the ugly stepsisters from Cinderella yes! because they were so gaudy. And mm-hmm. the other thing that I have to say is so Prudence and the one who I forget because she literally doesn't do anything, uh <laughs> are like kind of like they're like I wanna say oh, yeah. like thin Philippa? whereas but she doesn't do anything. It doesn't really matter. Um, <laughs> okay. And then Penelope, who is played by the wonderful actress who is also on um, Dairy, Dairy Girls. Girls. Oh my God, she did such a good job. I was like such a proud mom so, watching this person who I don't know act out really, act, do a really good job. Yeah. So Penelope, she is like a larger girl. She is like mm-hmm. a, of size, plus size, whichever way that you want to put it. And she is definitely like, she's shy. And she likes books. Mm-hmm. And they all, this poor girl, they always put her in, she has like bright red hair and they always put her in yellow and she looks yeah. terrible. And I feel so bad for the actress who plays her because like, you know that they were doing it intentionally because that's what the mom was forcing her to wear. But like the whole time I'm like, her clothes don't look like they fit her very well, which was upsetting. Cause I, I, I don't even know if I'd say man. she's like, yeah, I don't even know if I'd say she was, like, plus size, but she was just, like, relative to her sisters. She was a large, like, relative, she was a larger girl compared to them. But, yeah, it was, like, really hard to watch that and just be like, oh, no. And there was one time that she wore a pink dress and looked gorgeous. Yes! All of so the cute. other times she was wearing mm-hmm. yellow and looked Mm-mm-mm. hideous. There's even a time when, like, they get these dresses and, like, Prudence and the one that doesn't matter were just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. This looks great. And then, like, Penelope opened her dress and she's like, oh, it's yellow. Great. Uh, so those are the Featheringtons. Then we have the best character in the series, in my personal opinion, the Lady of Dan- Lady Danbury. I am obsessed with Lady Danbury. Every time she came into a scene, I was like, yes, finally. It was like, like you... You ever watch Gilmore Girls or like, um, and like Miss Patty comes on and she just like lights up the entire scene. She's just like, you just want the whole show to be about her. That's how I felt with Lady Danbury. Lady Danbury is one of those characters where she tells you what to do and you do it even if you don't want to. Every line she said, I was like, I want this on my tombstone. Like this is just amazing. Or I want this on a sampler to hang over my mantle. She carries around a walking stick, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't need it. She just uses it to hit you if you don't follow her orders. I'm pretty sure that's the point of the walking stick. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she is basically the second mother to the Duke of Hastings, the new Duke of Hastings, Simon, who is the main love interest of Daphne, and he has taken an oath to never marry and to never have children on his father's 
deathbed. That's like his father was just an all around terrible person. Like dad of the the year, am I right? Yeah, right. Uh, Like his like to explain how terrible he was. In the second episode, it starts off with like a flashback, I believe, and it's the Duke and the Duchess. And the Duchess is giving birth to Simon. And apparently the doctors have told her, like, don't try, like, you're going to die. Um, But she, like, has the baby anyway, and she passes away. The Duke doesn't even look at her. The Duke does not care that his wife is, like, hemorrhaging. Like, he does not care. He's like, I have an heir! It's a boy! Yay! And that's it. Yeah, I think I actually want to talk about Simon's character, because I find his character confusing at times i liked his character because it was confusing okay anyway so i guess bef- <laughs> Ugh, this is really difficult because there's so many things to attack okay there's the way- so many things let's, let's talk about the way that it's like pride and prejudice first because this is austin and the a-train we're supposed to talk about jane austen okay daphne on her first ball after coming out she when she is named queen she's named the diamond of the queen's eye mm-hmm. um her like her older brother is just basically like, no, can't date him. Can't date him. Can't date him. Oh my God. I, oh, my, my dad was like that when I was in my teens where he was just like, nope, nobody's good enough for my daughter. Nope. But it was like really weird to see that from an older brother because it was just like, dude, like a, a lot of the things that came up in this that reminded me of Jane Austen was specifically how the men, specifically Anthony, had no idea what this world was like for women. Yeah. And anyway, she, so Daphne is trying to escape, um, basically a creepy guy and bumps into Simon and he's just like, oh, you're you're like, you're trying to get after me too, aren't you? And she's like, no, I'm not. Oh, she's like, I don't even know who you are. And they start to hate each other. And guess what happens by the end? I am a sucker for a good hate to love plot line. And also like a fake dating. Also like a, a plot line where a couple is starts off fake dating and then t- falls in love. I'm just such a sucker for that plot line. Thank you, fanfiction.net. Yes. Yeah, this <laughs> is, I mean, for, forgive, for giving us that trope. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I would argue that Jane Austen... Jane Austen founded fanfiction.net come after me. (laughs) Like she established so much of those, like what we consider trashy romance tropes, but was not really that trashy. I wouldn't say trashy. I'd say they're more timeless. Like how many stories are out there, including this one that are really similar to Jane Austen novels. Now. um, It's timeless. It went from Jane Austen to fanfiction.net to Bridgerton which I think is a great, and like, I just have to say the scene is beautiful because the entire time when like she's analyzing men to date, there's vitamin string quartet playing. Thank you. Next. Thank you. Next. And like each That's time it goes stuck in my head, each time it goes to like next is like a different guy. It's. <laughs> it was it's, so, that was so good. It was well done. Was thank you, Shonda. Nice. Thank you, Shonda. Praise. Praise the television Lord. I also like the fact that they kept it period with like a string quartet. Because a lot of shows try to use, like, pop music. They just use it as pop music. Like, I remember, I think it's Sofia Coppola's um, Marie Antoinette. You have, like, 80s pop music in the background for this period piece. And it's kind of, it's always a little weird 
when they do that just because it doesn't really fit the tone of the piece. And I get you want to use like a modern song for the modern feel, but I think this was the best way I've seen that done where like it stayed with the tone for the most part, unless there was like a tonal shift and like in one episode where they use like an actual pop song at some point. I think Rain did the same thing though. Rain, the CW's very, very teeny bopper, very, Mm -hmm. very loosely historically (laughs) based television show detailing the life of Mary Queen of Scots. They did something Mm -hmm. really similar because I'm pretty sure during one of her wedding scenes, they used a string quartet pop song. Yeah. And I love that. I mean, like, I did that for my wedding. So, like, yeah, I can't, I'm not gonna knock it at all because I think it's great. I mean, the members of Vitamin String Quartet have been doing this for, like, 22 years at this point. Yeah, like, they know what they're doing. 23. Like, they've, it's clearly very popular. And I think it does kind of get like, oh, because we're not going to, re- like, a modern audience might not recognize things such as Carmen or Puccini operas as much as, like, the older generations would. So I think it yeah, but they does had a, They had a mix of that, though, because there was a lot of, there are some opera songs, like, I, I studied opera in college, and, like, there were opera songs that I remember, like, looking at for my juries or, like, I mean, Don was with me for, like, music history class where we were literally studying these operas and these different pieces. And I was like, oh, snap, that was on my final. Yeah. Um, Our music history class where we made snide comments to each other and hoped the professor didn't notice. (laughs) Yeah, he noticed. He just thought we were funny, so we got away with it. Yeah. So back to Simon's character. Yes, thank you. I thought it was a very well done coming out of the shell situation because at first he was very literal tall dark handsome mysterious but then as each episode passed you got a little bit more insight into how trauma shaped him Mm -hmm. and how the lack of love received from his father essentially caused him to shut down as a kid and Mm -hmm. only by by virtue of the nurturing that lady hastings gave him he came out of his his shell. He grew into his own. He managed. He worked past his speech impediment. He worked mm-hmm. past his social anxieties. He worked past all of that. And his father still didn't approve. Like th- this man. This man has more trauma than like. I'm trying to draw a parallel here. I'm I'm kind of drawing a blank. You might have to cut this. Yeah. This this man has been run over by people who he thought would love him more than a New York City straight sees tires. Like, yeah, he, he just I I wanted to just hug him. Like, yeah, I also vulnerable moments. Yeah, I also loved the scenes where Daphne was finding all of this out because that was that was so frustrating. Like once they got married, and you realize how much about him that she doesn't know, and it. Like, that that was just frustrating me so much. I was like, just talk to each other. But then, like, she finds out from Lady Danbury. She finds out a little bit more from, like, the servants who basically raised him because his father was a terrible person. Oh, no. Her, it was Lady Danbury. I fumbled the bag on her name. Eh, that's that's okay. She was best friends with... Um, with Lady Hastings. So, like, yeah. The Duchess of Hastings, yes. Duchy, what, whatever. We know uh, who you were talking apolog- about. That's apology, apologies for fumbling the bag. <laughs> Res- respect respect to the queen lady danbury it is yes. mm-hmm. yeah she i mean because there were times like his backstory is that essentially he had a speech impediment he couldn't speak until he was four and even then it was with a stammer mm-hmm. um and essentially it wasn't i think 
his like father like insulted him because like oh like you're an idiot and he was just like I, I I can read books at age four yeah that was so I felt so bad for the teacher just being like no your your son's actually really smart he just can't talk to you because you're terrible yeah mm. and then I think it, like there was a moment where it was it started to reveal that Simon was like developing feelings for Daphne and his stammer came back for just half a second. Yes. I missed that. I, oh my God. It was like yeah. a blip Wait. of a scene. Like, yeah, it was like really short. I was like, huh? I, was just, I didn't like, realize that was why. Back. Brain more back. Like yes. I wanted, I, I was more interested in seeing how he got over his speech impediment personally. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, yeah, it, like, basically, like, the Lady Danbury, like, put into him, like, okay, you gotta be twice as good, which is, like, she nurtured him to, like, be this, like, wonderful, per- like, be this amazing person, but at the mm-hmm. same time, he grew up with this feeling of, I have to be twice as good if I want any recognition whatsoever, mm-hmm. and it just hurts to see, and there are times when his, like, mask is so good that he shows to the world that mm-hmm. there are times when you're like, are you nervous or are you actually just being like Ma- Mr. Macho Man? Because like, <laughs> he walks the line a lot. Yeah, but I, I appreciated his like not toxic masculinity for the most part. I mean, we could talk about this more in depth, obviously. But like, yeah. he, he never, uh, I, I just lost my train of thought. Never mind. Well, like, he, he does like to box. Like, he has a friend named Will, and he basically yeah. gets his frustrations out by sparring with, not Bill, Will. Uh, Will. Yeah, I literally wrote that down. I appreciate the healthy coping skills, because, like, I do kickboxing when I'm stressed out and I want to punch things. So, like, I appreciate him, like, fully. I, I think that's such an important skill that not enough, like, TV shows really address. And I think Jane the Virgin does addresses it, like, a little bit. Just, like, having healthy coping skills, like, just breathing. Or, like, if you have an anxiety attack, like, notice things around the room. If you feel yourself getting agitated, how about you remove yourself from the situation and go boxing or go kickboxing or whatever? So I appreciated that on, like, another level outside of the show. And, like, Will is a true friend and confidant. There's at one time when, like, Simon is, is, like, really mad at Daphne. And Will is just like, please go talk to your wife. Will was, like, the perfect friend because it was, like, equal parts of, like putting up with your BS or, like, going along with it, but also, when it goes too far, just calling you out on your BS and be like, you're being an idiot. Anyway, yes. And so, Will and Daphne kind of have this, like, it's quasi-Pride and Prejudice, and it's also quasi-to-all-the-boys-I've-loved-before is the way that I would describe it, mm-hmm. because it's, like, because da- essentially there's a night time when, like, Daphne, this, like, creep is trying to go after Daphne, and, like, she, en- she ends up punching him, which is really great. Oh, my God, that scene. I, I could talk about that scene That was for a beautiful forever. punch. That was a- that's so good. So good. Oh, well, should we, I- like, go through the he- episode, like, yeah. descriptions? Yeah, go ahead. Go for it. Okay, so, first episode, Daphne debuts on the London marriage market as a new gossip sheet, sets high society a Twitter, and Simon, the eligible Duke of Hastings, returns to town. That's the episode. Um, a Featherington yes. faint. So um, the debutantes had to present themselves to the queen. Fun fact. This was a tradition that lasted until 1958. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. That was one of Queen Elizabeth's jobs was, you're pretty. You're pretty. You're still pretty. <laughs> uh, you try again next year, love. 
Uh, Daphne is the queen. Marina, Marina Thompson comes to stay with the Featheringtons afterwards. And then we find out at the end of the episode that Marina Thompson is with child. Dun, dun, dun. I mean, honestly, the dun, dun, dun isn't even that far off. To have been found out that you were mm-hmm. impure coming to the marriage market, that was essentially, that was a nuke in your prospects. Yeah. That, that just blows everything up because they placed so much emphasis on purity, which truthfully was beautifully done in Daphne's outfit, Daphne's yes. facial expressions, mm-hmm. which Daphne's so actress has said that she went through all of Kira Knightley's work and mimicked her facial expressions, the, the big eyes and the, the lips, the, like, they she did it beautifully because she yes. knew how to execute it. She looked yeah. at what worked and said, okay, I'm going to do this too. Another connection to Jane Austen. But yeah, like this was basically, it's like we keep saying, this is basically Jane Austen's Gossip Girl. Also, all right. So I do have to say like, just a more note on the act- actors. Um, I like put originally, I was just like, so is Daphne a Kira Knightley lookalike? And I put for the mom, is this a Meryl Streep lookalike? Oh, I love the mom so much yeah she looked a little bit like Meryl Streep though didn't she, she did like a little bit but yeah um yeah I mean it was just like it was one of those like that's like how did that even happen like because you're we're so not used to seeing like pregnancy issues happening in yeah like period dramas essentially mm-hmm. uh, so that's episode one we kind of get to meet the family yeah. as well as the Viscount Anthony the eldest brother oh my god I hated I hated him so much. I literally wrote in my notes, if my future child ever spoke to me the way Anthony talked to his mother, I would smack him. He has an affair with an opera singer. Of course it's the soprano. It's always everyone's always banging the soprano. Nobody ever bangs the altos. <laughs> That's what I was thinking the whole time. She was actually I, I like was listening to her sing and I was like, Oh, that's actually like an opera singer. I don't know if it was like actually the actress singing, but they had an actual opera singer playing, which I appreciate. Okay, episode uh, two, I think, is the first ball, I want to say. Oh, wait, wait, wait. We forgot to talk about how Anthony was doing the soprano, right? He's having wasn't a that his in- Wasn't that his intro, though? Like, that was literally his intro. Song. Like, his the intro entire family. up against a tree doing the yep. dirty with somebody who is not With a servant just, like, holding his horse, like, can I... Can I go? Are you done yet, man? It's just, oh my God, that scene was just insane. And meanwhile, like back at the house, everyone's like, where's your brother? Anthony, Anthony, where are you? And like it everybody's trying to get just, ready. It was just, oh my it was God. just so quiet too. It's like yeah. you heard the noises and you knew what those noises <laughs> were and nothing else. And mm-hmm. his manservant was just kind of vibing. I felt and- so bad, so bad for the manservant. It was so uncomfortable, but it was delightfully uncomfortable because you yeah. know the reason he did it that way with no music was to elicit discomfort. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like, you you felt like that manservant just like, uh, okay, are, are you done yet? The treatment I felt, of servants in this series is really sad. It, I, it, I thought it was really interesting, but, I mean, we'll get to that in a later episode when it comes up a little bit more. Um, oh, yeah, so then Anthony... Later in the episode, he is, I guess, confronted by someone, I forget who, um, 
about his affair. I think it's his mother about, and he's confronted by his mother about it. And he just goes to her, her name, the soprano, her name is Sienna, I believe. Correct. And he says, sorry, I can't be with you anymore. You have to get out of this apartment. I'm paying for you. And she's like, you said you would always protect me. Mommy said no, so I can't. <laughs> Mommy said no, so I can't. And he, she's like, I have nowhere to live. And he's like, mm, sorry, it sucks to be you. You'll figure it out. He literally and, said, uh, smells like broken here and kicked her out of the house. Yeah, it was just, oh my God. And then, and then like two seconds later, he pimps out his sister. And I wrote, worst man of the house ever. Just, uh, he pimps out his sister, of course, to, you know, the guy she punched because he was trying to sexually assault her. And she punched him, and then face. So the um, the Simon hates a bully, so he also beat up the. Uh... Oh my god, he beats him up in the next episode. I yeah. was cheering because I was like just so happy that that happened. It so was they... it was very well done. So yeah, at an outdoor party, this guy who I forget his name. Mm-hmm. It was like Lord Brubbington or something. He's not important. Lady, Again, um, Lord Uglyface is how I remember him. I mean, he kind of gave me man. Peter Pettigrew vibes. Oh, he kind of yeah, did. He did. He was just, he was just super sleazy and like super creepy. Yeah. So he keeps asking Daphne to dance with him and she says no. And she like tries to go for a walk by herself into the garden. And then this guy follows her. And then I think Simon, like, I forget what happened. Did he like see her walk and he was and the other guy was following her? He's I think Simon followed the following. Yeah, Simon followed the following, probably because he knew it was gonna happen. And like I just love that. Like originally Simon was like ready to fight, and then Daphne's the one who punches him. And he just says something like, You have an excellent right hook. Like, like you have a mean right hook, or whatever the period version of that is. And then yeah. Daphne immediately has like a panic attack about being impure yeah. because she punched. Yeah, the guy. about being seen as impure, because, not because she punched him, but because she was just on the dark walk oh. alone in a garden with a man, with two guys, two men, with one guy, and then another guy comes in, and then she like starts freaking out. She's like, "Nobody's gonna marry me." Oh my god! And again, again, like Simon's like, "No, it's fine. We'll just tell them what happened." And she, again, men not understanding what it's like to be women. Mm-hmm. And then they come up with the whole conspiracy to just pretend they're dating. So and that way, others will avoid Simon and yep. men will flock to Daphne. Because men always want what they can't. Oh, have. if the uh, if the Duke is after her, she must be really hot. Like, mm-hmm. yep. And then Anthony is actually friends with the Duke, so he of course disapproves. <sighs> so it's don't touch my sister, bro. And then the Duke touch like, my sister. Then Duke, the Duke is just basically like, I wasn't even planning on touching your sister, but I can't I tell you that. I was not going to, but okay. Um, Lady Lewisledown catches wind about the Duke and starts writing lovely things about Daphne. <laughs> and for the most oh, part, yes. the ruse it works for like the next three episodes. Yep. Lady Whistledown also, I like that as a device to kind of rush through all the other exposition. So that way we can spend more time on like developing the characters and the plot lines. Um, I, I appreciated that. And they, like, also reference it in the show, which was good. Yeah. Also, like, you first on. I was going to say, the queen reads Lady Whistledown. The queen is addicted to it. <laughs> it is so great. 
It's like when Perez Hilton was big, like in the early 2000s. <laughs> it's like, it's like what, reading BuzzFeed. It's like when BuzzFeed first came out and everyone's just like, oh my God, did you hear about that Twitter fight they talked about on BuzzFeed? That was like the kind of vibes I was getting from the queen when she would read Lazy Lady Whistledown. So or, two know. things. Anyway, yes. Alana, you've been waiting I for I think the queen was seeking Lady Whistledown's approval of the way the season was going because technically I think she was she might not have been fully in charge but I think she was queen regent like I think her title might have been queen regent Mm -hmm. so as a woman in a position of power surrounded by men who could easily take that power it's basically like the public approval rating she needed to keep that public approval rating high and with gossip kind of fanning the flames like this it was a dicey situation especially when Anthony's overprotective um you know toxic actions towards his sister kept mm-hmm. suitors away from her because then it made the queen's judgment look faulty yeah. and made Daphne seem like there was something wrong with her. Yeah. Again, men making problems that women have to deal with. It's all Anthony's fault. That is what I gathered from this series. Anthony sucks. Yeah, I concur. Uh- <laughs> Okay, so the second episode is shock and delight. Simon's apparent apparent courtship of Daphne angers her brother Anthony, which we were just talking about, and threatens to run, ruin, I can type, threatens to ruin the arrangements he made. Marina opens up to a curious Penelope. Okay, so this is when uh, Penelope Featherington finds out that Marina is with child after her mom finds out and is like, oh God, we got to marry you off really fast. Okay. I have issues with Marina because her character is constantly conflicting me. And I don't know if it's the writing. I don't know if it's the way the actress portrayed it because she seemed really like wide eyed all throughout like the first like episode. And then it was just like, I hate it here. I hate everything. And like, she was like really nasty. I don't know. I feel like I've definitely had those moments, like, if you have to stay somewhere where you're, like, where you're just, like, your first day somewhere. I remember I went away to summer camp, and at first I was just like, oh, my God, because it was at, like, a college campus, and I'd never been there before. I was, like, in my teens, and I was like, oh, my God, this place is, there's so much here, and, like, the first day you're there, you kind of take it all in, and then the next day is when you really form your opinion about it, and that's what, how I kind of felt with Marina um, from the first episode versus the second episode, where it's like, okay, you've been here a little bit, mom is trying to get rid of you, she's making it very clear that she doesn't like you, and you want to be, like, Marina also just wanted to be with her boyfriend, essentially, so I kind of get why she was miserable, she was kind of, like, a stereotypical, like, miserable teenage girl. Yeah, and, like, the way that she describes the love story between her and George is just really beautiful. And Penelope, like, opens up with these, like, wide, innocent eyes, and it's just, mm-hmm. it's really, it's, it's sweet. It's a tender moment. Mm-hmm. Well, and consider the Featheringtons didn't really have a true example of a loving marriage. I mean, we didn't mm-hmm. really get to see um, the Bridgertons' marriage, but from what we've heard of it, the, the parents was their marriage was full of love and mutual respect mm-hmm. and the Featheringtons it seems like a whole lot of contempt and a lack of communication yeah. so for Penelope this was she's like wait love that's a thing that can come with marriage <laughs> it's just yeah. in that time period it wasn't really something that was taken into account it was you make the best match you can and that's it and mm-hmm. And that and that that that's kind of a trope that I think crosses Regency borders, whether it's Jane Austen or Bridgerton. Mm-hmm. 
Mothers yeah. just want the best match for their daughter. Daughter's opinions don't matter. Love doesn't matter. If you find yeah. love in your arranged marriage, good for you. Yeah, like a family like the Bridgertons where the mom was like, not even just okay with it, but like they were in a position where they could just marry for love. If they fell in love with one of the lower people on the totem pole, that would be fine. Or I guess the lower lower person on the social ladder, that would have been okay as long as they were happy. But the Featheringtons, it's, it's like you were saying, they're kind of, they seem kind of like middle tier, like social climbers. So like they had to find a good match. Otherwise, who knows what was going to happen to the family, especially because I don't, I don't know if they really knew about the gambling problem. It seemed like Portia was like a little bit privy to it. Like just that he went out a lot and he spent a lot of money. But when you know that something like that is happening, I imagine just secure, it was a, like security. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I can only guess from, like, the amount of times we saw even the Baron, even the first few episodes gambling, that there were a lot of lonely nights at home waiting yeah. for him. So she probably But they also didn't like each other, so I feel like she was probably super happy about it. Yeah, they really didn't like each other. And then, ugh. also, it's kind of like, in these episodes, like, we see Penelope, like, she loves the idea of love, but she also, her, her best friend is... Eloise. Eloise. I love Eloise. That actress is such a scene stealer. Oh my god. Oh yes. Uh, Eloise Bridgerton has the ultimate little sister move when like they have to rush Daphne for her thing and she just yells she just like screams up the stairs like Daphne you have to make haste. Like I've totally been that younger sister before so yeah. She's like best friends with Daphne and Daphne is um, essentially a suffragette even though suffragettes weren't around. She's essentially like (laughs) peak feminist uh yes who where like she wants to go to university and she smokes cigarettes behind her mother's back and stuff mm-hmm. uh so it's like penelope's like maybe i'd like to use my brain and write one day maybe i'd like to fall in love can either be an option for me probably not <laughs> yeah i would love to see a side quest adventure of just eloise and the brother who fell into like the grungy art scene off yes. in like the city somewhere being like college students that's an au that has fan fiction or archive of our own written all over it yes i would 100 percent watch that as a tv show yeah also so anyway benedict the, the younger the younger brother bridgerton essentially gets into uh like this grungy scene like art scene and like the person who like shows him into the art scene because he loves to sketch is just he has this amazing quote that's like uh older sons rule but the second sons get to have the fun or something like that and they do according to this show to this show they do i mean the scene was out of i was here i heard la vie bohème playing in the background of my mind when i saw the scene of like this is like the sketching room and then it got yeah oh my god yeah real grungy real fast yeah, and then they had a sexy party. That was interesting. And that's when you find out that that second son is gay. But that's in, a, like, a later episode than no, what we're talking about gay. right now. But, yeah. He's not the, gay. The Brid- Brid- I was going to say, Bridgerton's second son. No, no, gay. I'm All sorry. I mean the one who invited – the second son who invited him to the party. Oh, yeah, the one who yeah. we forgot. Okay. I yeah. was just still that trying guy. to wrap my head around – how I'm just gonna call him art teacher because that's yes that's how I think that's the, the easiest way to talk about it. art art teacher was off having his dalliance with his partner or mm-hmm. underground partner art teacher's wife and the modiste kind of ambushed Benedict and it was just like 
He was just looking around like, okay, I, I guess I'm letting this happen. <laughs> he's like, oh, all right, I'm, I'm not going to complain. And then he I, just comes back and he's like, it was a good time, guys. It was a great time. And, and just to clarify, there was nothing non-consensual about his yes, it was all, feelings in the moment. It was all like, wow, yes. am I really about to sleep with Is this the modiste and my art teacher's not wife, but beard wife? Yep. I didn't even pick up on the fact that he slept with the wife. <laughs> I also like I how they were it dressed was an implied so threesome. I also noticed how um, the art teacher seemed to be the only man who really had a grasp on like women and marriage in it. Because he says um, to Benedict at one point, he says, "Well, my wife doesn't mind that I'm gay because she gets to enjoy all the freedoms of being a married woman." And, you know, I get to have my fun, but, like, this still kind of sucks because we can't be with each other in public. But I felt like he was the only one who really understood, like, there are freedoms that you have when you're married during this time. And none of the other men even acknowledged that, and it infuriated me so much. Yeah, like, there are so many times when Daphne just, I think it repeats the line of, like, why do you keep on underestimating me? Why do you keep on doing this? Yes. Uh, I loved also how Daphne found, what continuously just found a way to have agency in a society that did not want her to have any agency at all. Yeah, Daphne was really sneaky, and, like, she surprised a bunch, like, she surprised a bunch of people, and she's just like, I am just trying to survive right now. Yes. Oh, uh, we didn't even talk about how, I think, is it in the second episode? I think it is. Uh, when they have to completely undermine, undermine the arrangement that Anthony made for Daphne and who she's going to marry. So then they, oh my God, I just love how this was done where they like invite the other guy's mother over for tea and then the servants talk to each other. And the servant, the Bridgerton servants seem other than what Anthony did to his manservant, they seem like they're pretty friendly and like they're treated pretty well, especially for how servants were back then. Uh, So then the servants tell them the gossip about how this guy has like an illegitimate son and he sent the, the, um, because he raped a maid, I believe. I believe that's what happened. Yeah. He raped a maid. She got pregnant. He sent her away. Didn't even wait until the child was born. Doesn't send them any money or anything. And then they find out and then they start gossiping. And it's just like this whole web of gossip. And I just, I loved it. Yeah, and the the Viscountess Bridgerton, like, the mom, was just basically, like, so what do we do now? Like, someone asked her, like, what do we do now? And she's like, we do what women do. We talk. Exactly, because the men were like, let's fight this out. Let's, like, we'll kill him. And then she's just like, no, no, no. We will talk. Okay, and so I like a lot like so Alana just like as like your background is like you're half Italian half Jewish correct correct okay so um just for listeners out there I am not Jewish I am dating a Jewish person though okay part of me I kind of picked up on this a little bit from the little like that I know about like Jewish culture I feel like like the guy's mom was like being like almost like Jewish coded a little bit like because, or I don't know, because, like, because it felt, it felt a little bit like that. I don't know if that's me being, like, hypersensitive to stuff, or. I think she might have been coded into Jewish mother tropes, but I think that in a society where Jews weren't necessarily represented at all, it was, or at least not to my knowledge, to my knowledge, there were no prominent Jewish landholding members of the English gentry. 
Um, nor do I know if that's a thing at present. I don't think I could fully speak for the entire Jewish community because no, we are no, no. a beautiful spectrum from modern Orthodox to very reform. And there's a lot of different pop culture tropes of what makes somebody Jewish. I would say that she was coded as a very doting, very protective mother of her only child. Mm-hmm. She was the type of mother who would see no wrong with her child, even with the wrong basically waving in her face. And I think that any mother could be guilty of doing that, whether or not she's Jewish coded. I think that okay. any mother who's really protective of her child a lot of parents, especially like when you hear stories about kids who get caught up in crime at a juvenile age mm-hmm. or kids who start doing drugs and the parents, it's like their blind cold comes off and they're like, what? It's like they had no idea that their innocent little Johnny or Jane could be doing these verboten things, mm-hmm. but it's because they didn't really pay attention. They focused more on the vision of who they thought their child was than who their child actually was. And the true, per- the true perception of, of Lord Uglyface's personality was seen by people who got the most realistic treatment from him. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my dad, I, when I grew up, my dad would always say you can judge somebody based on how they treat cab drivers, waiters. And I was just about to say out. that. Yeah. That's like, and, uh, like an undertone of the stories. You can tell like a lot about these people based off of how they treat the people beneath them, quote unquote. So it was, it basically came down to the mom just could see no wrong with her son. And meanwhile, the the servants and I, I quote, quote, the help who were around her son much more often and saw her son in his many different states mm-hmm. could speak more honestly about the type of person he was. And, you know, fun fact, he's a terrible person. And yep. they did not feel bad about it, which is a great thing. Yeah. I also just realized that that's kind of the opposite of how Simon grew up. Cause Simon on the other side of things, he grew up with a father who only saw the wrong in him. And that's, one of the things that I love the like the bookends in this episode, because you get a lot of flashbacks about Simon growing up where it starts off with his father just bullying him. And so he grew up to be someone who hates bullies, which is why he beats up Lord Uglyface to begin with, which kind of like starts off the reason why they have to um, figure everything out really fast. Um, and then at the end, there's the scene where he has the confrontation with his father on his deathbed. And that's when he makes the vow to never have children and to never sire an heir, blah, blah, blah. And I loved how he just turned the tables on his father. So it's, it was an interesting juxtaposition in this episode to have this mother who only sees the good in her horrible son and this father who only sees the horrible in his pretty good son. It was interesting. next episode or all right um just kind of like to add to like just this is what i noticed about the mother that i was kind of like questioning about like the jew coded like i really appreciate what you said about alana about like the doting mother i think it was more like the food thing and like how like i don't know i feel like she was like portrayed to be as like oh no i have to like terrible in-law i think of the word what do you mean i think it was just more like I don't know. Like, I think the thing that got me was just like, oh, you should start eating Harriet on toast so you can have a good kid. Like, that might have been Jewish coded, but also like, 
considering medical care back then, it was mostly old wives' tales about things like conception. Mm -hmm. I mean, you still hear a lot of that nowadays. Mm -hmm. I think carrying on toast might have been a coincidence, but I, as a good Jewish girl, I will say that locks on a bagel is my breakfast of choice and leave it at that. I think that's what I was eating when I watched this episode. That's unrelated, but like locks on a bagel is delicious. (laughs) Sorry, I'm just here with like the random comments because I have cannot add anything to this conversation so i'm just like mm, yummy bagels I, I, uh, I mean we've been friends for a while i would consider you jewish adjacent to this point. i know i just don't feel comfortable like i didn't pick up on any jewish coding and i'm also like i i am irish catholic so i'm not comfortable speaking on like i don't think that's true because blah 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 because it's just it's not my place that's you can't speak to jewish moms but you could 100 percent speak to a ta- to um irish catholic mothers overlooking the horrible things that their sons do oh my god yes i feel like i i feel like it's just like a universal like some parents are just like do not see what's wrong with their kids yes oh my god we haven't even talked about that i loved all the diversity in this i wanted more I wanted, like, more, especially from, like, the main cast. Yeah, and I think, yes, so um, if we talk most, we do have some Black characters in there. The Queen Charlotte, Queen Charlotte is a Black woman, as is Lady Danbury, and Simon is also Black, and his father is also Black, because... I don't know if you guys noticed this, but they actually, like, addressed that at one point, where Simon is talking to Lady Danbury, and they bring up how, because the Queen is Black, that elevated all of their, their status... I thought that was interesting that they addressed it, like, in the actual show. Because I, I wasn't sure if they were going to do that or if they were just going to, like, keep going. I, as if that wasn't something to talk about. So I, I wonder if that's, of, like, part of the all-alternative history thing. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. No, it's fine. I, I kind of, like, in, in interested because there was part of me that just kind of wanted it to be this alternative history and, like, then, like, add in more diversity. Um, mm-hmm. And there's part of me that's just, like, if they're going to mention it, then they have to talk more about it. So I have some history here. So in, in older records, it was very ambiguous as to um, what Queen Charlotte's ethnic background was because a lot of the, of a couple of portraits that were done of her featured her with facial features that would typically be associated with someone of Black or African-American descent. There's all sorts of different records that say all sorts of different things about how she and her siblings looked, about how, what their mannerisms were. And apparently she ha- she may have African ancestry. I would kind of have to fact check mm-hmm. that before stating that is absolute truth. Um, but according to the few articles I've read, the ancestry I think would have been too far back to have likely shown up in her appearance. However, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that it's not true but I also haven't found anything in the records to say she definitely looked black. She definitely was black because, you know, obviously there were no cameras at the time. There's the no real way. History is so whitewashed too. There's no real way for us to speculate because there's, in, in this case, there's multiple sides to every story. Every other person's different record of what she looked like, what she did, this and that. And then what actually was, which we will never know. Yeah. Unless we invent time machines. But yeah, yeah. History is until recently i think like this or the previous decade history has just been so whitewashed that nobody would have questioned it or really looked into it until now so i'm glad you brought that up i had no idea about that yeah so so aside from shonda placing many black women in the forefront of her Mm -hmm. dominating television series i think it was a very interesting 
take on the show, whether or not history proves it to be true or whether we'll just never know and kind of have to leave it up to whatever showrunners of this, of these different period series decide to do. It, it was just something really cool as like a subtle nod to one of history's mysteries. Yeah. I loved the queen so much. Like, historical accuracy like i i was not really thinking about that while i was watching this show because i knew it was all alternative history i just i loved the actress of the queen she had the perfect just like regal air and but she also seemed like a queen who was just kind of bored because she like i kept thinking during the show i'm like there is no netflix what did they do to fill time and that then you see those little scenes where they're like angrily practicing piano because they're mad at their husband or like drinking and or like like the queen i think in one scene was like doing drugs and i was just like okay queen all right uh this there is was what a, we're doing now oh the cirque du soleil acrobat invention oh my god party. yes i was like this is what we did before netflix whenever i watch these these shows or movies that's what i always think just hire a cirque du soleil acrobat to mm-hmm. be in your living room um yeah i mean i think what i also appreciated is like when we saw like Maureen is also a black black woman character where like asleep or like some or like in their like pajamas essentially they showed the hair wraps which is like the proper way to care for their hair Mm -hmm. type and like they celebrated like kind of like black like their hair Mm -hmm. which I think was really cool um I think I would have liked to see more diversity but that's just because I think we need more of it um yes at all times but I think this was like a good example of like yeah you can because you, can have you don't people. see a lot of diversity other than I think CW shows are like the exception of the rule, but most of the time in period dramas, especially set in this time period, it's treated like there's no diversity. Everybody is just white all the time. And literally everyone. And super has, pale. And has poreless skin. Yes, and has poreless skin and looks perfect all the time which is just not true so i really appreciated it in contrast to because we talked about this with even just the pride and prejudice stuff that we've talked about like the 2005 movie was not very diverse everybody was white the mini series in 1995 everybody was white bridget jones everyone was right so it was really nice to see in bridgerton like some diversity very refreshing for a period piece mm-hmm Yes. Oh, and we also have the modiste who is, I loved the reveal of the modiste. I loved her so much. Um, she so wasn't the, French. So the modiste like is kind of speaking in this like, it's not terrible, but very stereotypical French accent. It was a very like over the top French accent. It was, she was looking like this, mon chéri. I will get you those dresses. Like it was, she, it was very. It was like Lumiere-esque kind yeah, of. Yeah, it was like French Lumiere, accent. like. Lumiere, like, there's, like, actual French, and then there's, like, Pepe Le Pew, and, like, I guess middle of the road, like, she, like, middle of the road, it's kind of, like, Lumiere, where it's, like, okay, it's, like, kind of cartoony, but, like, it worked, but then the reveal at the end was that she was not French. She's, like, she has, like, a thick Cockney accent, like. Yep. Oh, my God. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, but, and also, like, with, like, with Lottie, like, you could t- clearly see, like, she was frustrated and bored. And, like, every single time, like, a servant came in, it was just, like, is my husband dead yet? Oh, my God. The scene with her husband, I think it comes up in a later episode. I don't even know what episode we're on I anymore. think we should talk about her because I think it's really important and sweet. The scene like, with her husband. Uh, so, Queen Lottie, her husband has Alzheimer's and most likely also what Ilana was talking about at the beginning. Porphyria. 
Porphyria. That's what it was. Um, so he's just slowly going insane. And like my grandmother had Alzheimer's. So like watching that scene where they're at dinner, they're at the dinner table and she's like, oh, he seems like he's like back to normal. This is great. And then he starts asking about his daughter. And then she has to explain like, no, honey, your daughter died like 11 years ago. She's, she's not here. And then he's like, what did you do with her daughter? What are you talking about? I was talking to her the other day. And that scene was very accurate to what it's like to deal with someone who has Alzheimer's. They will literally, like, the timeline is all messed up in their brains. Yeah. And I think it was really, like, for just, like, a minute and a half, they got to have, like, this, like, fun little friendship. And it was still Yes, and you got to see they actually liked each other. Yeah. And I think there was something about, like, and of course, like, yeah. And of course, on the day, you had to put kangaroos in the, (laughs) or ridiculous other rich people thing. And, like, they, like, were giggling about it. And (laughs) then it just fell apart. And it's like, oh, this is why she's obsessed with the gossip and obsessed with. Yeah, and that's why she was like, is my husband dead yet? No? Okay. Because that, that's, it's so hard, and they didn't have ways to deal with that back then. It I'm not saying that like hoping... the basement you go. Yeah, exactly. It was like, okay. Um, but yeah, that scene, that scene just really got to me, because I remember, like, I, I was, like, seven years old when my grandmother was diagnosed, and... I remember like having trying to have dinner and like something similar happened where she literally like forgot what we were talking about or she mistook me for my mom because my mom and I look a lot alike. She didn't know who my mom was or we were like looking in like photo albums and she was like, she would get so frustrated. She was like, I, I don't remember when this was. I don't remember who these people are. And so that, that scene, that scene got to me, made me cry a little bit. Yeah, and, like, the actress did such a great job of, like, delivering this, like, deadpan face. Like, Mm -hmm. okay. She had a very good I'm royal and can't have emotions face. Well, I think it was also just, like, an emotional shut... I read it as an emotional shutdown of, like, all right, I had a glimmer of hope. Shouldn't have done that. Like, this is normal now. Yep. It's the art of the swoon. I don't even know what episode we're actually talking about, oh, but that was the when, third um, episode. This was Cressida on her BS. Oh my god, Cressida was the worst. Oh yeah, okay, so. Ep- I think her mom sucks. I don't think Cressida sucks. I don't think she fully sucks. I think children learn what they live, and yes. Cressida was raised with this vapid, vain woman of a mother. Mm-hmm. And so now she kind of has no choice because that's that was her only role model in life. Yeah. So this is the art of the swoon. After Daphne catches the eye of a royal suitor, not all that happened, um, she translates, wait, oh, she translates to Simon for some relationship advice. That's, that's not a, true. That that's, is a that's terrible. <laughs> that's not what happened. Uh, more accurate would be she made fun of people flirting with the prince with Simon, and that's how they fell in love. But okay, Netflix. And Lady Featherington tries to browbeat Marina into marriage. Okay, that was, yeah, that, that was the episode. Um, so Prince Friedrich of Prussia arrives and is everyone in the middle of the season and everyone is pushing him. Basically, there's this scene where, like, Simon is saying, like, oh, look, here's how the guys are dealing with the, uh, the girls. And, like, I think, like, the prince says something like, your ground looks exquisite. And... <laughs> Oh yeah, and she just it's goes just like. It's going to say that to everyone here. Yeah, 
And then, of course, Prince Friedrich says that to Daphne, and she starts ugly laughs. Yeah, ugly Ugly laughs. And you're like, I wanted to like slap her and be like, "Girl, you need," or or, like whisper, "Girl, you need to calm down." In her decorum, please. Decorum, please. Yeah, even the queen seems so done. I'm pretty sure the queen just asked her nephew to visit just to like cause drama. Because honestly, if I was a queen and I was bored. That's totally what I would do. I'd be like, oh, I'm going to cause drama amongst the high class. I oh, mean, yeah. either that or strengthening her own country's diplomatic ties to her nephew because that's just how Europe worked. I mean, and that's as also as probably as, what it was. As soon as kids were born, everyone would just kind of look around like, all right, who do we need to finesse a stronger alliance with? And that's how most young princesses found their husbands. Mm. And that's how a lot of princesses mar- ended up married to wrinkly, impotent old men. Yep. <sighs> History is so much fun. <laughs> History for women was great. Moving on. <laughs> well, I liked, yeah. So you kind of get to see, like, what I liked about it was, like, that you get to see, like, Simon and Daphne's friendship just making fun of this world. And they, they make fun of the way they're making fun of it is, like, a very modern retelling. Like, people of this day wouldn't have thought of that. Like, mm-hmm. there was, like, a secret language with, like, the fans and stuff and like the way Mm -hmm. that we recorded but to see them just like bond over making fun of this ridiculous world was like it strengthens like their love but also like it gave like the modern viewer like a look into this kind of insane world especially like the language of the fans of like oh Mm -hmm. it's going down and it's waving in front of her chest like yep so that way he gets a little sneak peek yeah I've totally had conversations like that with my husband at events where we're just like oh my god okay like this is what is about to happen here. Oh, it's so funny. We just predicted it. Like we, we, yeah. Not to you guys, of course. I feel like I should say that. It's funny for the podcast, but we're all friends and I want to make sure you guys know we don't make fun of you. Um, you, you make fun of me to my face, Colleen. Exactly. Because that's what friends do. <laughs> I feel like I'm not with you guys in person enough by virtue of school to be made fun of. Like I, I'm, I'm there true. for like my token twice a year appearance Yay! and then I'm gone again. But I also thought that Prince Friedrich served as a very interesting portrait of, like, what the, what the ideal husband would be. He's voting, mm-hmm. he's kind of shallow, he's got money, he's friendly, he's yeah. polite, he's well-bred. And then there's Simon, who's off in a corner, brooding away, wearing he is the all person black. Who, he is the person who pets the cat at the party. And as someone who has been in that... Who, especially in high school, I was way more that person. Like, I appreciate that being featured in movies and TV shows. And not to say, and not to say that Simon wouldn't have been a good, not to say that he's not a good husband because evidently he is, but it's like, it was just very interesting to see his outward persona versus Friedrich's outward persona. Mm -hmm. And like, Friedrich is just like, I want children someday. Like, he's like very upfront about everything and he's very like charming. Yeah, anyway. there's a, you don't there, there's not a lot of layers. You don't have to dig at it. Whereas with Simon, Simon like it is like an archaeological dig to find out why he doesn't want to have kids well, and, he, like, and many like, other issues. Like Prince Friedrich gives like this like gorgeous like diamond encrusted necklace to like Daphne, and meanwhile Daphne is just like Simon, you need to give me flowers. <laughs> Simon, give me flowers. Give me flowers now. Yeah. Oh my God, that scene where Simon breaks up with Daphne, I was borderline tears just because it was all about his low self-esteem i like 
I like the idea of this guy who has like a confident persona, like secret, like uh, us, like seeing how he's actually deeply insecure and like has actually a low opinion of himself and then him growing as a person. Simon has daddy issues, send tweets. Yes, men have daddy issues too. And it's time that we talked about the men with daddy issues and not the women with daddy issues. Um, what's it called? Unrelated to any of this episode talk, there is a very interesting niche of TikTok that seems to have taken <laughs> up Bridgerton fandom torch style. Oh, there, I've heard there's like a Mamma Mia version of it now. Uh, oh I wouldn't even say Mamma Mia. I would say they basically, um, we'll get to the exact plot surrounding this famous quote, but they basically took the in scene as they're traveling on their honeymoon with the I burn for you quote and they turned it into like a plot driving song for oh the God. currently unwritten Bridgerton musical that I would probably yes. pay a whole lot of money to go see. I would see it. Yeah. I mean, it would make sense to be a musical. Oh, there was also like that beautiful moment when Daphne was just like, I'm all in. Like, this is what I'm going to do. And like, she stated it to Simon and like, just like the little, <gasps> the touch of the heat of like, Simon touches her a little bit closer. <gasps> yeah. I like that. I also like how after Simon broke up with Daphne, she had this whole, well, he rejected me. So I'm going to go to this event he's going to be at and I'm going to look hot. I'm just going to try even harder now. Yeah. I'm going to look so good. It kills him that he's not with me. And I was just like, yes, queen. Yes. Okay. Episode four. Episode four. Episode. <laughs> episode four the duke and i to fend off rumors about their garden escapade wait okay so right, hold on we need to talk about the ball oh right okay sorry netflix the netflix synopsis just like skips straight to the end so i was like uh okay. okay oh no wait it's an affair of honor yeah that's the one we were up to Something okay so that. i think so backing from last episode i think what happened at the end of the last episode she gets the diamond necklace from friedrich she goes to this ball flexes how hot she oh is, wait, wait wait hold on we skipped panic up. attack yeah. we skipped over the an affair of honor sorry my notes were all messed up so an affair of honor is daphne um receives a stunning gift from prince friedrich who, um, but soon court scandal at a ball eloise searches for clues to lady whistledown's identi- identity um the eloise plot is really quick and it's frustrating to me so i'm just we're just gonna bang that out where it's like eloise is i want to do i don't want to get married and everyone else is like shut up eloise and then she's like, like most people up. are like okay even her mom her mom is just like okay like you can wait but like in this society you will have to get married eventually oh and then um okay so what netflix you know didn't mention in this is um so Daphne, yeah, like a lot like a lot of us say, um, Daphne gets this beautiful necklace from the prince um at the beginning. I think it's like at the beginning of the episode or like halfway through or something. And then at the end there's like another party and she got the proposal from the prince, and this time her brother's actually being respectful to what she wants and asked her if she wants to say yes. She's like, I don't know. So they go to a party. And then she sees Simon and she starts freaking out because she's really in love with him. So then she runs off to the garden and he follows her out to the garden and then they make out and her brother finds out that they were making out and then he challenges them to a duel because, right, that's how men solve things. They just duel and shoot each other because they're dumb. Um, Some relatable Daphne moments is like they like fight at each other 
And then there's like a really hot makeout scene. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then like when like, okay, we have to bring like Anthony and like the other brother, Colin, no, Benedict. Oh my uh, God, Benedict. He's like, he comes back from like just partying with like the art teacher and stuff. And then it's like, I have to duel. And like, it's like, Daphne, go to bed. And Daphne just screams like, Ugh. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Cause they did, like, they did not ask her what she wanted again. So then they were like, we got a duel. It was like, I think it was Eugene O'Negan. It, it's like an opera based off of a story where the, the men get into a fight. So then of course they have to duel. And then what happens in Eugene O'Negan, I guess, spoiler alert, even though it's like two centuries old is the two get the, like one of the guys dies. All I heard um, so, was the Ten Dual Commandments from Hamilton. When, yes, you know. so it's the Ten Dual Commandments. Uh, so this whole time I was watching it, I was like, is, is someone about to get shot? Like, is someone going to die from a duel? Like, that oh. that's a tonal shift. And then all they do is, like, punch each other and then try to kill each other. Well, and, yeah. the, uh, the part of Hamilton that I was thinking of when they said, like, but that, like, you're going to duel, but that's illegal was, in my head, I was like, everything is legal in New Jersey. <laughs> Hey! I will also say this kind of reminded me of there was a I forget exactly what the premise of this exact duel was in Outlander, but I'm pretty sure um, I think it was maybe during season two or three when they were in I think it's season three when they were in France they run into Jack Randall who's the antagonist of the series and him and Jamie have a long complicated history of issues and i mean jack randall kind of has a a thing for both torture and jamie which obviously doesn't go over very well and so i forget exactly what led them to this point but there was a duel involved and claire had to essentially ride out to try and stop them from killing each other yep that is exactly what happened with daphne oh he she almost gets shot Mm -hmm. yeah she almost gets shot oh yeah i wrote in my note Anthony, you dumb butt. You almost killed your sister because you were too trigger happy. And then, like, there's this whole thing where it's like, I can't marry you because of my vow. And part of me was just like, get over your stupid vow. Like, Marriage yeah. is another vow. It cancels out the first one, right? That's how that works. That's yep. how that <laughs> Which is what comes up in the, in the second half. But we'll get to that next time. Uh, yeah. yeah, I... I what wrote down, I think the breakups that hurt the most are the ones that where the couple loves each other, but they're just like they want different things and that's what i thought was gonna happen when they had their whole confrontation but then instead daphne's just like no we're getting married because i love you and they uh, they wouldn't talk to each other and they wouldn't say how much they love each other even though they do there was a lot of that tension there was so much just tell each other how you feel okay episode so yes and then as the episode so they basically have this huge fight and it was very, to me, it was very reminiscent of the 2005 Mr. Darcy walking through the mist. Oh, my yes. God. Like, when she was, like, going to, like, stop the duel. It was very reminiscent of that to me. And it mm-hmm. was just like, we're going to marry. And then it was just like, you got what you wanted. <laughs> you um, both got what you, that's what was so annoying. They were both so sad, but they both got what they wanted. Yeah. They're like, so as a heads up, hint, Bridgerton is very sexual. Um, Like Simon, like the way he spoke, no, it would not have like been done at all. He never would have mentioned that to a woman, but he basically like tells her, like he explicitly tells her like, oh, like touch yourself, explore it. Like you can do that. Well, I actually thought that was interesting because 
it kind of highlighted how even today, like we still don't talk to women about sex. Like I think at one point, maybe it was in one of these episodes, but, or maybe in the later episodes, but the brother Anthony is talking to his brother Colin and it's like, Oh, you know, you're so young. You're so inexperienced. We should have taken you to a brothel. Like I went to, so you can get some experience. Meanwhile, the women are like, how do babies happen? Oh yeah. And they like, they like take a, they like, um, I think, yeah, I think Eloise just like, how are babies made? Apparently. Oh, yeah, she's like, how do you become with child? And I was like, oh, my God, her poor mother's face. And I felt, I really felt for the mother throughout that, because that comes up in a later episode. But And the mother is just like, nobody explains to you how to tell your daughters about this. So many feelings. So many feelings that we'll have to wait for next time. Okay. Do we want to give out our awards now? We have our most annoying award, most clueless award, and the creepiest creep award. Do we want to give them out now? Uh, for the f- next yes, time? for the first half. And we're going to talk more about how Jane Aust- how we think Jane Austen would have thought about Bridgerton in her time. So far, yes. for season one, we think this is Jane Austen approved. Season two is a, sen- is a whole other story arc. I guess we'll- the second half. Yeah, not season, sorry. Yeah. The second half. Um, that's a whole other can of worms that we do have to um unpack yes um most annoying character eloise i liked eloise uh but okay uh i think it's <laughs> what's your face the mom portia is that her name i portia. said it before yeah portia, portia. portia. i think lady featherington is the most annoying uh, okay i don't well like with eloise it was just like it was not her initial complaints it was the fact that she was like ignoring all of everyone everyone else was saying and it wasn't yeah we don't disagree with you you're just not hearing our problems (laughs) we don't disagree yeah i think penelope her friend literally has a i can't talk to you about finding out who lady whistledown is because i have to figure out how i'm gonna survive without a dowry yeah and there's like other times when it's like Eloise insults Daphne for like wanting to marry for love and Daphne is like I want this this is what I want yeah. you don't have to like it I want this mm-hmm. yeah I agree <sighs> I also think that Eloise was kind of the Jane Austen insert because she was like I just want to write books all right Alana what are you, who was your most anyway. annoying character oh <sighs> I don't know because it totally depends on like what lens of annoying you're looking through. I would almost argue the collective desperate mamas who are pressing their daughters. Oh my God. Yeah. To do castings. I would say like the, the try hard is one of those things that always just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Mm, and just mm-hmm. the try hardiness of some of these mothers collectively it, it was just very, I mean, it was cringe in the best possible way because it was cringe that made good television, but it was yeah. cringe. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Most clueless character, I think we can all agree that's Anthony. <coughs> I was going to go with uh, the Baron Featherington. Because <laughs> like for the first half of the season, he's just like, whatever you say, dearest, I'm just going to go gamble. And then it bites him in the butt in the second season. And that second season, second half of the season. Sorry. Guys. I would I would argue Eloise is the most clueless between where do babies Ooh. come from Ooh. and and, not, and 
And without spoiling anything, without knowing that she was getting completely bamboozled the entire time mm-hmm. of her second half of the season um, detective ship, I would say that she is very clueless. She's a very yeah. well-learned person. She's one of those people who's book smart, book but not smart. smart. Yeah, I was just about to say that. Yeah, well, I think the most clueless character is Anthony because he clearly has no idea how this world he lives in works and how he is just constantly screwing over the women in his life. But uh, I guess we'll all agree to disagree. And the creepiest creep award. Uh, we actually the- have his name now instead of Lord Ugly Dude. Yeah. <laughs> We're um, a very serious podcast who calls our We're super serious, super duper serious, and does our research, obviously. Uh, uh, include a character names that include the sister that doesn't matter and uh, Okay, I tried face. to tell you who that was. He's like the Baron, but... like, Von, like, like, that's kind of what <laughs> his name sounds like. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we will find this. No, we will not. Okay. Oh, if I, I wish I knew his name. Okay, Bridgerton has guy who almost married Daphne. Let's see what happens. What a world we live in where you can type that into Google and probably get the answer. It's not even Hold the on. dumbest way I phrased something I typed into Google. Hold too. on. I'm, I'm almost there. Uh, all right, we're on IMDb. There is progress. All right, all right. Cat, full, full series cast list. Okay. Oh my god. Um, unrelated, but Lady Danbury, her actress, was on Dr. Burbrook. Lord Burbrook! That's what it was! Uh, I will also say, I, I see your Doctor Who, and I'm pretty sure I raise you Cormac McLaggen from Harry Potter. As oh, Prince no, Prince that Prince. is Cormac McLaggen, is the <gasps> prince. And it's so funny, because the prince, like, I almost, I was, like, shipping the prince and Daphne together for a little bit. Yeah, me too. I feel like everyone had that moment where you're just like, Miss, I'm in the duty head. Yeah, because even though, like, they, like, I do have to say with Bridgerton, like, they do a very good Jane Austen thing where, like, they take the tropes and, like, they still make it a little bit surprising. Mm-hmm. But we'll get more into that next week. All right. Yes. So, yes. He was the creepiest creep was Lord Burbrook. Lord Burbrook. Yes. All right. Are there <sighs> any- a, fa- a face you just want to punch. Yeah. Yeah, um, most punchable face, yes. So, my hot take for the chamber pot award or that didn't age well is um, I don't think, I think it was in the next half of the season, but I just need to mention it was the hangover cure of raw eggs and garlic (laughs) (laughs) that is offered to, uh, um, Oh no, it was in that episode. Yes. The raw, I think I was hung over that episode when I watched it and I was like, Oh, damn, maybe I should try that. And then I reminded myself that's a terrible idea. Alana, as a medical student, can you... (laughs) Alana was just shaking her, just like, no, Colleen, no. So Um, in terms of what helps a hangover, you typically need fluids and electrolytes, um, which is why Gatorade and a breakfast sandwich is typically the college student hangover cure of choice. That being said, aside from the protein offered in the raw egg and um, whatever herbal properties the garlic has, I just don't think it would be hydrating enough to provide an adequate cure to a hangover. So that's, that's my take on the Chamber Pot Award. Thank you, Alana, for enlightening us that, yes, please don't treat your hangovers with raw eggs and garlic. 
Eggs on breakfast sandwiches for hangovers? Nice. Raw eggs with garlic? No. The classic bacon, egg, and cheese salt pepper hot sauce? Go for it. Yes. And yes, that is one word for people who have never been to New York City. Bacon, egg, and cheese salt pepper hot sauce. One word. <laughs> yes, it's all one word. All right, so I think we're done with this episode of Austin and the... Thank you for listening to this episode of Austin and the A-Train while we talk about Bridgerton Part 1. Tune in next time for Part 2.